Today I would like to look at the difference between a life of faith and a life that desires control and certainty. And to do this we're going to look at Jeremiah 42, 43 and 44, selected verses from there. But to begin with, I'd like to read from um, Hebrews chapter 11. And the first verse and the sixth verse sound like this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then verse 6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. If you want to escape a life of faith, then let me suggest that you watch a game of football. Because everything is defined in the game. Everything is exact and measured. It has understandable patterns. We know when the ball is thrown in from the line that there are only certain things that can happen. We know that when a penalty is given, there's a limited number of things that can take place. And although there are complex feats uh, accomplished by the athletes and they're done with great skill, that errors are punished and um, rules when they're broken are dealt with and unruly co uh, conduct is banished. And when there's an outstanding performance, it's applauded by everyone. And while the game is in progress, people from widely divergent backgrounds of all kinds agree on a single goal. That's my pun, but there's an objective and there's a means of pursuing it. When, when the game is over, everybody knows whether it's been a win, a loss or a draw. But it's a world for which, um, in most circumstances, uncertainty is banished. And a world in which everything is clear and obvious. And there's no need for faith. And afterwards, the whole thing is summarized in numbers. And it just reminded me of a passage in Proverbs, which I love. And the Living Bible states it like this. An empty stable stays clean, but there is no income from an empty stable. Uh, you, you, you can get to a place where you have made everything so neat and tidy and certain and in such control, but there is no life in it. If there is life, then you have a messy stable and you keep having to shovel all the dirt that's in it. And the world is like that. When we have finished watching our football, we return to a world that is full of the same kind of elements. There is elegance and sloppiness. There is rules breaking and punishment. There is victory and defeat, boundary and risk, all these different things. But the one thing that is significantly different, the thing that sharply distinguishes that from the way we live, is that all the stuff that happens in our lives is a muddled jumble of stuff constantly. And what's going on at any one particular time is not always entirely clear. There are no clear lines. Uh, there are no boundaries that are absolutely precise. And there's constant dispute about really what's going on. It's like having a smartphone or a smartwatch with all its digital accuracy and um, stuff. It never tells you whether you're in the beginning or the middle or the end of an experience. And we have um, a kind of thing that happens in Israel's life where it's 
perhaps what one would call the Egyptian alternative. And it's the same kind of thing for us. We want always to move towards a world of certainty, a world of clarity, a world that is unambiguous and that we can control. And when Israel got tired of living by faith, they went 250 miles southwest to Egypt. Now, we don't have to go that far to get to our particular Egypt, and that maybe will come clear as I talk uh, further now. But for the, for the uh, people of Israel, Egypt was a land where everything was clear and precise. And they took Jeremiah with them when they went down there. And it was a, a running away from the difficulties that they faced in a Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Now, this wasn't the first time Israel had done this, um, where they had tired of living by faith and had looked for clarity and certainty, the capacity to control their own existence. Abraham had done this, the father of all faith, the one who is the one that we look back to as the beginning of everything. He got, he got tired. He went down to Egypt, and it says in Genesis 10 that um, he looked for security there from the famine that there was in the land where he was staying. And he's plunged into a world of deceit and compromise that nearly derails the whole uh, beginning of the journey of faith for us. The Exodus is a similar thing, where the Hebrews had been delivered out of Egypt and they'd been in slavery there for so long and God was training them to live by faith in the desert. But the pull of Egypt was so persistent and powerful that even though they had been slaves, they wanted to go back to the slavery where they knew that at least they were secure and they knew what to expect. The leeks and onions of Egypt were really very attractive because there was a, a certainty that they didn't have. Uh, you know, a pillar of cloud is a flimsy successor to the solidity of the pyramids. And that's what it's like for us often, a draw towards those things that, that defines life and takes away all risk from us. Solomon was the similar one. Solomon, uh, at the height of the monarchy, Solomon uh, um, marries the daughter of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gives him a certain portion of, of land as, as, as part of her dowry. It's almost as if He's living by faith, but he's got a little bit of a, a security blanket on the side. And it wasn't the last time that it happened, because in 1 Kings 11, it tells us over and over, Solomon saw lots of pretty women from the Moabites and the Ammonites and all these other kinds of things. And he, set, he cements treaties by marriage and by things like that. So it's not without precedent in Israel's history that they go running for the kind of security that comes from a place like Egypt. And what you're getting now, what I hope you're getting, is that it's a, a constant draw for us to be um, lured to a place of absolute clarity, certainty, and control that obviates our need to live by faith. And there's nothing more difficult than trying to live by faith to live spontaneously, exuberantly, uh, energetically uh, by faith is, is the most difficult thing to do. So, after the Babylonian invasion, 
the temple has been destroyed. It's in rubble. It had been the focus of worship for about 500 years. The ritual that had been so rich in meaning has been wiped out. The priests, their priestly voices are silent. And it's in this kind of traumatic moment that Jeremiah tells the people to put aside their fears and to begin to live again in a way that is faithful to Yahweh. A life of faith in God that, that rises, if you like, out of the rubble of Jerusalem. And they decide that it's easier to go to Egypt. It's easier to be in a country where there are no uncertainties, no loose ends, no ambiguities, because everything is accounted for and secure. They actually, it actually says in chapter 42 that there would be no trumpet, no war, and there would be plenty of food to eat. And Israel, uh, Egypt is that kind of place. Geographically, there is this massive river that runs through it. Um, there are no mountains, there are no valleys, there are no river tributaries. There's just this huge monolithic river that brings life, and the desert is death. Um, architecturally, everything is um, clear and precise. The lines are temples and pyramids. Uh, everything is mathematically and statistically amazing, and even to this day, it's a wonder how they managed to do it. And theologically as well, Egypt was a place of um, clear understanding of how things worked um, as far as the gods were concerned. All the gods were made into images so that the uh, unseen was reduced into what was seen. The gods were a cat, a hawk, a hyena, an ibis, a bull. The images that they could actually uh, stylize and eliminate, eliminate any kind of um, uh, uh, problem in terms of understanding what the gods were like. Um, it was a religion of absolute control. And of course, socially it was clear as well. The hierarchy in, in Egyptian society is um, inviolate. It was exactly how it was. So here's the thing. The Wembley Stadium of the ancient world is essentially uh, Egypt, with clear boundaries, set rules, clear separation between the players and the spectators, um, the gods in all their picturesque form were like the program and numbers is what defines it at the end of the day. And when we talk like this about the life of faith, it doesn't mean that there are no, there is no clarity or there are no certainties in a life of faith. There are. But these certainties are not given. They develop from within us as we walk in relationship to God. They cannot be imposed from without. They are not rushed. They're not things that um, happen overnight. They, you can't go and get a book which says these are the 10 steps towards easy faith. Because it's organic and it's personal. You have to live it. And faith invades, if you like, the muddle and the chaos and the pain of our lives. It doesn't eliminate it. The whole process of peace and completeness and healing comes slowly to us in the middle of everything that's going on. And faith, as we have it, comes as we are committed to God, not from controlling our lives and being controlled by others. Faith comes from God's will and God's love and being obedient 
to the demands that God has on us and not from managing life in such a way that we minimize all risk, that we control our world. Now when we get back to Jeremiah and looking at his life, it was an amazing life, surrounded by hopeless disarray. Um, sometimes he was devout, sometimes despairing. But the whole of w the world around Jeremiah was a muddle. And in this, the moment of the last uh, chapter of his life, if you like, he, it looks as if this, this um, uncertainty, unsettledness of Jeremiah's life is going to be banished. You find this in chapter 39 and 40, um, as, if you want to go and read it. It's just after the fall of Jerusalem. The Babylonians have come in. Um, they have destroyed um, Jerusalem in all its finery. It's the blackest hour of their history, essentially. And there comes a shining moment of recognition for Jeremiah. Um, the people have been rounded up. They are being marched into exile. Um, um, they're put in chains, and Jeremiah is chained up with all the rest of them. Um, the poorest, the weakest, um, and those that were considered worthless by the Babylonians were left behind. And then they faced a forced march in these chains, chains of about eight or nine hundred miles. Um, but just outside Jerusalem, not far probably from the place of his birth at Anathoth, there is a huge stop. The whole procession is stopped. And the Babylonian general um, Nebuzaradan um, is told by Nebuchadnezzar to treat Jeremiah carefully, to treat him well, to, to honor him, to let him choose whether he wants to stay or go. Now, here is Jeremiah. He's been vilified for so much of his life, locked laughed at in the streets, thrown in cisterns, he's been in stocks, he's been ridiculed, and that's by his own people. And here all of a sudden is the world-conquering Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, singling him out, saying, cut his chains off, treat him specially, and um, presenting him with a choice. Do you want to go to Babylon? where you will have special treatment, there's no chains, no hardship, um, you'll live with an allowance from the king, or do you want to stay in Jerusalem? Now, Jerusalem uh, had been left under the care of Gedaliah, who was a friend of Jeremiah's, and he was supposed to care for the remnant um, that had been left in the city. And it was essentially starting over. It was brutal. There was no there there any longer. The resources had all been smashed, both human and material had been taken away. It was a wrecked city in ruins. Not a great prospect for a 65-year-old. Life in Babylon sounded much nicer, a much easier life, honored by the king, part of um, a sort of a retirement allowance that he would have been given. And after a life of ridicule and rejection, um, honored by the most powerful king in the world at that time, uh, when he had been laughed at by his own people, would have been quite a sweet thought. But Jeremiah is not ready for retirement. 
he is not tired of living by faith. And he chooses to stay in Jerusalem. He chooses the rubble, the outcasts. He chooses what he understands God has appointed for him. And in a situation that is completely destroyed, it's in chaos. Um, the, with, with, with all the trappings that are gone, the clutter of all the possessions, the status, the, the material things, all the splendor of the religion disappeared. But Jeremiah discerns that God wants him there and, and that God is present in that. And even though everything had been taken away, the conditions in that situation had never been better to develop a mature understanding of what it meant to live by faith. Out of the emptiness, out of the brokenness, out of the nothingness, God would bring a new creation for Israel. There is a passage that I love in, in the message. There's two, in fact. The, the one is from Psalm 51, where David has been um, spoken to by Nathan the prophet, and he comes to a realization of just how, how uh, egregiously he has sinned against God, and he is devastated. And out of this devastation comes this verse in verse uh, 10, Psalm 51. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. The imagery is so powerful. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week out of the chaos of my life. And in essence, what Jeremiah chooses is exactly that. Out of the chaos of a situation where there is nothing that seems uh, positive or beneficial, He's, he's throwing himself back on God to create out of that a life that is ordered, a life of faith. It reminded me also of this passage in Matthew um, 16, verse 24 to 26, where Jesus went to work. It says, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. In other words, we are not in control. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? That's Matthew 16, 24 to 26 in the message. And it has a similar feel to it. This whole thing of it's out of what is lost. Out of the, the, the cross comes the resurrection. No cross, there is no resurrection. And what we have is Jeremiah choosing to be where God commands. Choosing to be where he has to live by faith. And where he's at the center of God's action, God's promise, God's salvation, rather than a life of ease and comfort and, and a life that is without risk. And living by faith for us as Christians doesn't mean living without applause or um, not winning all the time. It does mean that we need to be ready to live by what we cannot see, what cannot be controlled and cannot be predicted. In other words, we live under God's terms, under what he desires for us. Now back to Jeremiah. 
and we would hope that there would be a happy ending, but no, there's not one in sight at this point, because everything collapses again into chaos for him in Jerusalem. Gedaliah is installed as the governor by Nebuchadnezzar, and they begin the work of restoration. But Ishmael comes in, and he um, murders Gedaliah and about 80 others, and throws their bodies into the cistern. There's a counter-revolution with Johanan, who rallies survivors and chases Ishmael out the country. This, this complete upheaval on top of all the Babylonian upheaval. And then Johanan does something that is important. He comes to Jeremiah and he says, pray for God's guidance. And so Jeremiah prays. This is what we find in chapter 42 of Jeremiah. And God gives direction. It's a clear direction. He says, you must stay in Jerusalem. I'll read it to you. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I am grieved over the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. I will show you compassion, that you will have compassion, and I will restore your land to you. He says, what must we do? That's what Johanan says to Jeremiah, and he says, well, this is what God says. Stay put. Work out what it means to be um, followers of Yahweh in the middle of this broken situation and I will build you and plant you. They hear the word of the Lord, but they don't listen. After having asked for guidance, he then weighs whether he decides whether it's a good idea or not. And tired of living by faith, they decide to go to Egypt. It's far more expedient. And it actually says in um, Verse 14, if you say, no, we will go and live in Egypt where you will see no war or hear the, not hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread. There was this drive to actually be secure, to be settled, to have no difficulty to live without faith. And God says, if you do that, then you will die there and there will be famine and there will be war for you in that place. Don't think that running away from a situation of difficulty is going to be any better than standing and facing it and living by faith in that particular context. They wanted a soft life, in a sense, and they were looking for an easy way out. And it is easy for us to choose Egypt. It's all around us, instead of a life of faith. And so they go to Egypt where everything is reduced and organized and regulated and measured and controlled. And they don't have to live a life of faith. They, in essence, go back to an idolatrous, idolatrous lifestyle. And we could say lots of things. We could say, well, maybe Jeremiah, whom they had forced to go with them to Egypt, has now... Um, all sorted out and settled, but he continues to live by faith and to faithfully speak God's word to them in that situation. And as we look at that, and as we go back to how Jeremiah started out in the beginning of uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 with the call of God, how he has faithfully, all the way through his life, lived by faith, spoken what God has given him to say, lived the way that God has called him to live. Not without struggle, not without difficulty, 
not without uh, dealing with so many of his own problems and his own uh, doubts and fears, but always coming to a place where he throws himself back on God and lives like that. So I end this as I began by reading from Hebrews 11 verse 1 and 6. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God.